Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, a weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene. This Week in Craft Beer publishes the UK's leading craft beer newsletter every Monday morning by email. To subscribe for free, please visit our website at thisweekincraft.beer. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Simon from All Day Brewing, based near the village of Saul in Norfolk. All Day is a farmhouse brewery in a 500-year-old barn on a working farm, which includes a 20-acre organic orchard and a hop yard. They specialise in wild and mixed fermentations and try to supply the brewery as far as possible with ingredients from their own farm, including hops, barley, fruits, herbs and water drawn from a borehole. Simon, please introduce yourself and tell me a bit more about your beer journey and how a former psychiatrist came to start All Day Brewing. Hi, I'm Simon. I've been brewing for quite a long time, actually. My father started brewing back in the 60s and I used to watch him when it became legal in 1963. I remember him buying a beer kit. Uh, And we lived in Pembrokeshire at that time over in Wales and a, a lot of the farms were they brewed anyway. They didn't care about the legality of it all or not. So, and it was it was really interesting. So he got into that, and I sort of followed that, and mm-hmm. liked to have a taste of the beer now and again. Um, the interesting thing was looking back at this that uh, he stopped doing kits and started doing it the way that the locals did it. That uh, we actually used to borrow a, a large. It's probably a Kildikin-sized wooden barrel that right. we fermented in, or he fermented in. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really sterilised between brews or anything. It was just no. you, you bunged everything in. You just washed it out with water. So it, I think it probably had its own microflora in that barrel even back then. And we'd ferment it. You know, they, some some guys would malt their own barley, but we, we just used to buy extract and things like that. But it was a very interesting introduction. And so I've always been into that. And then when I was about 14 or 15, I started doing it off, off my own bat in secret. And that was good fun. And then I went to medical school and we started carried on with that brewing because it was cheaper than going to the pub sure and we started mashing properly with a thing called a, a brew heat i don't know that these i think they're still available it's like right. a, a brew in a bag system it had a okay. very yeah. very it had a photographic thermostat from people who were doing photography here a very fine thermostat it was it wasn't digital it was a mechanical thermostat so you could okay. actually hold the mash really well oh. and we made a, a lot of beers actually all through medical school two, two or three of us were doing this all you know all the time and they were really quite good and then I stopped because you know things became serious I had a job had a family that sort of thing and then when I finally gave up doing psychiatry a, a few years ago and went into this because I thought if I, you know if I don't do it I'll sort of think well I wish I had done it and bought some kit from well I, I didn't actually buy kit some guys in a stainless steel factory in Hereford were dismantling a jam factory and they had these big oh. sort of pressure <laughs> pressurized boilers right about 600 liters sort of mm. like giant pressure cookers wow you know nice Sheffield steel stainless mm. steel and they repurposed them for me in into a, a brewery so all my kit is made from repurposed jam, uh, jam boilers yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and just a, a shout out to them that's the wobbly brewing company They've subsequently started brewing. They built a brewery just for the fun of it. Then thought this is good fun, and now they've they've got quite a successful brewery going very in nice. in, in yeah. Hereford, and they they're very good at stainless. Awesome. And they built that for me. I then found it was too big for my garage at home, so I thought, oh shit, what am I going to do? All these <laughs> things are too big because I got a bit sort of overexcited about away. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I bumped into a, a friend of mine who owns the farm, mm-hmm. 
I hadn't seen him for five or six years. You were living in, were you living in Norfolk then? Or? I was living in Nor- Norwich. Yeah, I'm okay. living in, yeah, yeah. I'm in Norwich now and right. I bumped into, uh, been here for, th- for 30 years now. Hmm. So I'm almost, a lo- oh, I'm not a local, but you know, they're you, beginning you, to accept you're, you're me. You're getting now. down that path towards being yeah. uh, naturalised or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got, he's got this farm and I said, well, I have to, I, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm thinking of starting a brewery. We've got nowhere to put anything. He said, well, I've got this 500 year old barn and I want a tenant. So that's how it happened. Fantastic. You know, it's just, these things, these serendipitous things, mm. these things that just fall into place. And that's exactly what happened. And we've been there since, I think I moved in in 2014, late 2014, and we started right. brewing in 2015. Okay. The bonus was the farm also had a 20-acre organic orchard attached to it. So right. I got into yeah, bits yeah, yeah. cider and things. But that ultimately became a distraction. Right. Know, I was sort of thinking, oh, that's wonderful, and it's doing too much. So I've pulled back on that. Right. But one of the first things I did when I came to the farm was I had this sort of philosophy in my head. We tried everything as local as possible. Yeah. I think, as you alluded to in the introduction. Mm-hmm. So we planted a hop yard mm-hmm. in early 2015. It's a Worcester Herefordshire style hop yard with very strong posts. I got a guy down to do it at the time who's one of the last people who could actually lay these things out. Okay. And we got about 300 rhizomes there and that's been producing hops for us for since then. So we're, we're self-sufficient in hops. Right. We obviously buy in stuff. You, you can take localism up to a point. There's <laughs> always a point we have to buy something else in yeah so we will buy in hops if we want a particular you know specimen or flavor or whatever but we produce enough for ourselves mm. so we've got our water is from a borehole hops from the hop yard norfolk is the best place for barley yes uh, no doubt. As you, yeah, yeah. You, so no, no. you know crisps maltings which i get all my stuff is about 50 miles up the road and we just get it from there it's all norfolk barley nice uh, yeah, yeah now now the yeast We've got into this idea of if I'm doing clean beers, I'll I'll buy in a commercial yeast, but we're right. very much focused on mixed fermentations mm. and sours and things like that. So we've developed uh, a couple of strains of wild yeasts, one of which came from the uh, the cider production. So just after the first time I made cider, we did it how you're supposed to do it in inverted commas with you put sulfites into the cider to kill all the wild yeasts, and then you add extraneous yeast yeah yeah and you know that was fine the next year i thought oh that's a bit of a faff so we just left it it. yeah (laughs) Yeah, we we just let it go and it produced this wonderful cider Hmm. uh from which we took the lees from that or we we took the cider off and we put i thought why not put some beer onto that you know a nice strong beer and that that started our sort of journey into wild yeasts Hmm. and this sort of things that's some of what we're drinking here is is uh you know a few years down the line of that yeast the other the other other thing we did was we we got very much into just fermenting anything so so we do all sorts of kombucha and pickles and all that sort of thing but but we did a collaboration with ampersand brewery who you've probably heard of yeah and they're next to a vineyard Mm -hmm. and we decided to do this collaboration with taking a couple of barrels from the vineyard and collecting yeasts from the vineyard wild right. yeasts mm-hmm. and wild yeast from the orchard mm-hmm. which we did so we had uh, put you put out yeast traps so just jars with a bit of muslin on top and some wort or sugary whatever you want in the bottom right and you put out a collection and some of some of them you hit lucky with you know right. after 24 or 48 hours and you get yeah. a really really nice smelling yeast nice and we did those two then we combined the yeasts and we we brewed with them and from that, we've also got another sort of house yeast, wild yeast sort of strain going. And right. then these two yeasts have obviously got 
crossed over with each yep. other and sort of got, got a bit mixed up. So we've got this stuff. Who knows what's in it? You know, it's, it's not a pure grade <laughs> Saccharomyces cerevisa. It, you know, it's all sorts of uh, yeasts. You know, there's bread in it. You can mm. taste bread in this yeah, stuff sure. now. There's, yeah. uh, I think they're called apiculate yeasts, and there's all sorts. It's a whole, mm. it's a whole series of fermentations, and it's got, you know, probably on the side where it's got malolactic yeasts and so on right. and so forth. So we've got, anyway, basically to cut to the chase, we've got some very, very interesting yeast strains going and on. Yeah, I mean, absolutely unique. Not that, I mean, every, I guess every yeast strain is unique to some extent, mm. but what you've got is is truly something that nobody else is going to be able to replicate. And, and it's, No, because uh, it's yeah. about the environment. You know, yeah, it's, it's about, it's while, about it? yeah. you know, just around Saul and around the Flint where mm. Vineyard, where that other stuff came from. But, uh, and I love it. You know, I think it's that's how it should be. That's how it was. Yes. Fantastic. There's a lot to unpack with what you just said the last 10 minutes, mm. Simon. I've got a lot of questions in a lot of different areas there. So we'll sort of probably spend the next hour digging <laughs> back into into aspects yeah. of what you've just covered there. But that, that's brilliant. But I think mm. let's, let's pause for breath and taste this first beer together. And perhaps you could could start by giving me a bit of a description of it because as sort of for listeners benefit you sent me a, a 750 bottle with a handwritten label on it and so it just says chevalier and i am aware okay. that that's a um, a heritage malt that yeah. has been a real labor of love at, um, at crisp because i did interview yeah. them myself a yeah. few weeks ago for another podcast that i mm. do so I, I am aware of, of what chevalier means and yeah. the fact that it's supposedly a malt with with a greater depth of flavor than any of the production malts for one of a better turn of phrase that are in general usage today but beyond that all i can tell you this is a delicious mixed firm beer but i'm not sure what fruits i'm tasting and, and i'd love you just to give me a bit more background information <laughs> okay i mean the chevalier was and i possibly still am a member of the anglia craft beer group and i met a guy called chris ridout dr chris ridout who works at the one of the food places a big food sort of science stuff in Norwich he, he works right. at one of them he'd been actually bringing this stuff on and and then there was a few acres of it and then Martin Moran who was at the Poppyland brewery uh, which was a very interesting brewery right it's changed hands now but he was a great inspiration for me for what I'm doing here because it was all to do with this sort of thing he he brewed a Chevalier beer and I learned about Chevalier and it gradually crisps have actually brought it on and it's from the 17th century right. uh, sorry 18th century and it's the same guy Chevalier, which is the surname, he also started the Aspel Cider business back in that day. Okay. Back in the mm-hmm. day, which has now been sold on to a, a mega. Yeah, one of the one of the macros. I don't know who owns yeah. it, but it's a yeah. But he he did that, so it's mm. I think it was I can't remember his name, mm. uh, Robert Chevalier. But, but but anyway, he's so so he's famous for two reasons: so good heritage, Chevalier mould, yeah. <laughs> and and bringing over apples for Aspels, mm. and it was a. A very tall malt, so it, it, it's, it's about five or six feet high, and it was the malt up until the time of the First World War, as I'm sure they, they've told you. Yeah. And I got hold of some. It's you can get it. You know they've got enough to be selling it. Mm-hmm. You know fairly freely. And I made a, a a standard brew with it, and it it didn't seem to it didn't work very well because mm. it was such it's such a multi malt and it was <laughs> such a lot of unfermentables in it the way mm. I'd mashed it. Okay. But I thought, well, this isn't this isn't really suitable. So I thought, oh, well, it's obviously suitable for doing it how they probably did it back in the you know the 18th century, hmm. which is to put it in a, into a barrel and things, which is exactly what I did. So I nice, yeah. Uh, did exactly what I thought they would be doing. I put some Fuggles hops we grew in with it and just yeah. left it. I'll tell you when we put this into the barrel. 25th of the 10th, 18. 
that okay. went into the barrel. So Almost it's exactly you know coming up for two yeah. years. Yeah. And that went in. It went into whiskey barrel. Right. I've got Chevalier number one and Chevalier number two, which I did number two, which we haven't got here. Mm-hmm. According to my notes, I added ten liters of Norfolk cherry juice to it oh, okay. late in the thing because we grow everything so, in Norfolk. So this is the one with the cherry juice, or the, or the no, other? No, this is the one with the cherry oh, okay. juice. Right, this right. is straightforward Chevalier. Right. Um, and it's a nice colour. You know, so there's no nice... there's no added fruit in this at all. No, no, Simon? nothing, oh, wow. nothing, okay. nothing. But it, it, it this, tastes as though it's, there, it's there ought to the, be something in yeah. there. I don't know quite, no, not exactly sure what. Yeah, but it's it's just the yeast culture and the wow. and the, the malt and the and the hops. Very little hops, very hmm. few hops. It's my own fuggles. Right. You know, just to give a little bit of bitterness and a little bit of preservative. But and that's there's a, there's a slight I would say there's a slight acetic ting to it, tang hmm. or ting to it. Yeah. So it's probably a little bit of of that, but it's basically the yeast is doing that. Yeah. The yeast working on all these complex reactions, you know, that are going on. I mean, I taste, you know, I smell it. It almost does smell of cherries. And this is one without the cherries, yeah. and that's a Brett thing, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, say cherry pie and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And it's quite zingy because there's quite a good bit of, um, you know, a bit of CO2 in there. Yeah, but the malt, I think the malt flavour sort of develops on your tongue, doesn't it? As yeah. The, as that sort of the, you know, the zesty, fruity flavours mm. sort of ebb away, the malt yeah. becomes more apparent. And it, apparent, be, and it's it? quite yeah. a malty thing. And mm. I think this probably, uh, I mean, I, I've had mine out of the fridge for a couple of hours. It probably, you need to keep it in the fridge. Right. Because the, uh, some of this bread starts going wild and you get bottle bombs and things. Oh, but wow. Yeah, then you imagine. take it out. Yeah. Yeah. You need to take it out a couple of hours and bring it up to room temperature. Then you get a much more complex oh, thing. Okay. And I would, as a piece of advice for people doing all these mixed fermentations, I've seen a lot of things about cans exploding and things. Mm-hmm. This mixed fermentation stuff is still alive. You know, it's yeah. like um, someone putting a bottle of milk under their stairs for two months, and then bringing it out and saying, oh, you know, it's gone <laughs> off. You know, it needs to be kept cold. You know, all these mixed firms need to need to be, or, a, you know, a yogurt. Mm-hmm. You know, they're living things. So if you could put them in a can and then expose them to warmth, everyone thinks they're covered under the stairs is cool, but it's not, you know, no. especially not with the summer. <laughs> they have to be kept at, you know, five mm. five to eight degrees mm. if you want to keep them. Lovely. So this is, uh, as you say, you've only just started to bottle it, have you, Simon? This- well, what we do, this is bottled. There's about 300 bottles of 750 mil sharer bottles. Right. Because uh, it's quite nice to share this sort of stuff, you know. It's, Definitely, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's good stuff. And that's what we're doing. So we do 500 litres of each, which gives mm-hmm. us, once you've had losses and things, it gives us a few hundred bottles. Of, yep. So that'll be two wooden barrels, whether whiskey, wine barrels. That gives us two barrels. Right. And we top up the barrels and things because you get, you don't get the same angel share as you do with whiskey, but they do drop. So yeah. you, we top them up with stuff Right. over the couple of years okay. to keep the level high. Yep. So each of these beers that we do, they're very limited runs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's only maybe maximum 300 of them. Right. And once they're gone, they're gone, and each one's different. And that's yep. that's what we think is good fun. And it's, Definitely, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's a scope to play. You know, we can add stuff. You know, we added, as I said, we added cherry juice to one. We've got, we grow all sorts of stuff at the farm. We grow peaches. We grew watermelons a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. which is, uh, we made a fantastic beer with that. Right. Uh, which was courtesy of a, idea by steve soldana who runs the bear county brewery over in peterborough okay it's very interesting and the uh, stoneworks bar and he suggested this to us we made a we grew the watermelons Mm -hmm. right in norfolk we grew about 30 kilos of watermelons Mm -hmm. 
we mashed them up. We made a kombucha from the watermelons because right. Steve said that will hold the flavour better than doing anything else. Okay. We we shaved off the watermelon rinds. Mm. We lacto fermented the rinds. Right. Then I brewed a very 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 strong wheat beer, mm. which is the the basis of the next beer we're coming on to. Right. Because it was such a nice beer, I thought. Oh. <laughs> and then put the kombucha into the wheat beer, mm. which is minimally hopped. Right. And then added the the watermelon rind. Which we like to ferment it as a, as a sort of starter. Okay. And then then we fermented that out, and that was a very complicated beer. Wow. I, I won't say we're not going to make like it, it again, yeah. but it was absolutely wonderful. And mm-hmm. you know, it's again a very small run, but that's the sort of thing we like to do. Fabulous. And that yeah, was yeah. you know all praise to Steve for for uh, coming up with that concept. So yeah, if you make a kombucha, right, it, it'll really hold the fruit flavour in. That, preserves the fruit flavor exactly that's, as, that, as yeah because yeah, i've really done it raspberries okay. so as well because i mean you know a lot of breweries these days are experimenting with more and more fruits aren't they in the yeah. in, in sour mm. beers and um yeah i think that 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 might be an interesting tip that, that a few mm. people could leverage yeah really mm. good mm. brilliant well I, this is lovely simon it, I, i'm Thanks. stunned that there's no added fruit of any no, description in it that that's really quite remarkable but yeah i'm glad uh, i'm glad i got a big bottle of this I'm not going to drink all of these two with you this evening because I'm not sure that the end of the conversation is going to be very coherent. So coming back to your beer journey, you spoke about trying to provide as far as possible the ingredients that you need from the farm and the local area. And that goes into to both beer and food, I think, doesn't it? You, you know, you, yeah. you, you have a tap room and a, and, and a kitchen. Yeah, and we've got a tap room and we cook it all from scratch. Yeah, so again, it's all local produce. There's a, we've got a couple of polytunnels on the farm that we grow stuff in. And there's also the Saul Market Garden who, who produce stuff and we buy from them. And then all oh. the, lo- you know, the local people produce stuff for us. They give us stuff. They come in and say, oh, I've got these grapes that we've grown. Or here's some quinces. Lovely. Or yeah. whatever. And we just Toss put it in, throw, into throw in beer, it. Yeah. chuck it in. <laughs> you know, it's all sorts. So it's, it's good. And it works for the tap room. Mm keep the tap room very simple we haven't got a very elaborate menu but it's it's you know one or two things and that's what you get if mm-hmm. you come that's what you get and we have a couple of um you know beers that are quite quaffable and then we, we have things like nine percent belgian triple you know and people are willing to give it a go <laughs> which i quite like and so how much of your brewery production is sold through the tap room at the moment growth? uh since lockdown i mean i've not been brewing for anyone else other than the tap room Okay. This is interesting. Mm. And we've been focusing on the tap room. If the tap room, I mean, I think there's going to be a second lockdown, probably. Sadly. So we'll probably there have to stop, there, yeah. stop the tap room, which would be, which would be a bit of a, be a bit of a problem, really. So we've been mainly concentrating on the tap room. Mm. But we, at the start of lockdown, I just about got it together before lockdown happened. I set up an online store so people right. could buy the sours and things online. And I think that's the way to go. You know, I think that people like me, you know, we're very small as me and James yeah. and then Emily, who helps run the tap room and a couple of students who, you know, that's us. That's all we are. Right. That's that's the brewery. When I started the brewery, I had all the sort of thoughts, you know, we'd send stuff to London and do this, mm. do that. It's it's not it's not going to happen. It's best to be very, very local, so, you know, support and serve your local community, have a nice little tap room, have some interesting beers. And for the people who are interested in sours, and the local people are, they they give them a go and they like them. Right. We've converted loads of people to sours. Nice. <laughs> loads and loads. I think, but that's sort of for online stuff. I think, you, you know, you've got to market for 
selling that. And I think that doing it directly is probably better than, you know, trying to wholesale and things like that. No, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, there's a really thriving market for, for specialist beers like this. I think mm. in the UK, people be prepared, I think, to pay a very fair price for for a beer of this quality in a 750 so i mean you know i don't want to get into yeah. into a commercial discussion with you but i do think these are you know these are highly saleable beers and i don't think mm. you're gonna have any trouble moving two or three hundred bottles of, of anything you know remotely like this yeah. uh, through through your web shop pretty quickly simon i think you, you've just got to figure out a way through the next six months i'm afraid haven't you are you making many beers you know obviously you you know the stuff in the barrels okay you know you can bottle it this week or you can bottle it in march and it probably mm. you know it might be a little bit better in march and it's now that yes. uh, so there's no desperate urgency with that but have you got mm. beers in in tank that need to be turned over a bit more quickly or not really not at the moment we had quite a stock and we, we sold most of that through the tap room mm-hmm. uh the stuff we had back we've got a nice big chiller actually we've got a really big really big walk-in chiller and we had a load of stuff in key keg which mm-hmm. we just sort of sold off through the tap room over the last six months i haven't sold to any trade sales you know probably since lockdown started right and the interesting thing is that i'm not saying i'm making money but i haven't lost any money good through through not having that market yep and i'm thinking well do i need it almost mm. you know like the american well i've read about them i don't, I don't know about the american tap rooms they mm. they just concentrate on the tap room they concentrate on their sales and they concentrate on special releases and things yep. i think for someone like me that's probably a much better model I completely agree. Yeah. Obviously, I was doing cask beer. I really like cask beer, but mm-hmm. there's 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 no money in it, and you've got to distribute it. And then, because I don't find my beer, when I started, this is quite funny. People say, oh, oh, it's too cloudy. It's too cloudy. And I say, well, I don't find it. And, you know, over the past five or six years, that has changed. The market's completely come it's round to changed. your position yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah no yeah, question. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, that's an aside. But No, um, I, I got massively into cask beer discussion last week actually on this podcast mm. with pentrick uh mm. brewing up in uh, up near derby and yeah we did a we did a real deep dive into the into the commercial fallacy of of cask beer and you know what a tragedy it is that there's no uh, incentive for people to make good cask beer anymore mm. because it's just you know, the market's stacked against you but anyway i don't want to yeah. go down that rat yeah. hole again because i probably already made people cross <laughs> last week with that conversation but <laughs> i probably agree with everything you say but uh, i think that's great and yeah, i can even just chatting to you for half an hour i can see that what you know what you want to be doing is is not making the same beer twice you want to be experimenting you want to be seeing what you know what great local produce you've come up with mm. where your, your fascinating yeast blenders mm. has evolved mm. to next and, and trying to figure out how to harness that and so you know you mm. don't want to be bothering with any kind of obligation to supply through distribution or whatever do you i think that it seems like you've, you've found your niche yeah. And, uh, yeah i think if people get what we're doing they'll like it and mm. a lot of people are now yeah and you know so it's not me banging on the door so there's enough people out there and it's it's good um oh the other thing is just to mention i because we've got all this produce going and i and i've always been interested in distilling and i've actually now got a license to rectify and compound spirits so i can redistill stuff oh. so i think that's gonna be quite interesting because i'm planning yeah, yeah. to make uh, i've already started <laughs> i've already started i've compounded a a nice because compounding is just sort of infusing right a really nice um raspberry i suppose it's raspberry vodka really mm-hmm. you, you, you're not allowed to do it unless you, you have a license but the next step is i'm going to try and uh, make some form of or version of uh, norfolk absinthe because we're growing wow. wormwood which we've been putting yeah, into beers yeah, yeah. and we're growing anise and we're growing you know all sorts 
lots of herbs and things mm. up here. So so watch this space. You know, fantastic. We've, we've so can we down for a bottle of that, Simon? When it's uh, when it's ready, yeah. Well, that and again, sounds... that's another thing that came out of COVID. I thought, oh shit, you know, what am I going to do? I've got to mm. think of something else to to just to have another income stream. Yeah. And I thought, well, I've got the overarching thing of the brewery with the license and everything, and and then I thought, well, I'll just get a I'll just get the license for compounding and you know so I did and yeah HMRC were very willing to do that I don't see why they wouldn't be really I mean mm. you know we're having established the you know the, the yeah. ability to, to run a brewery yeah. responsibly then it, yeah, it's, it should be a logical step really and yeah, yeah. So it's interesting and I'm surprised that more more brewers haven't done that actually so mm. yeah it's an interesting mm. Uh, mm. interesting thought very good yeah so let's dig back into the uh, the hop yard for a minute. I think I read it was a quarter of an acre uh, yeah. when you planted it. I don't know whether it's it's expanded, but I think no. I saw that you. you, you <laughs> That's you, enough. That was it. <laughs> so, so you've got Goldings, Fuggles, Sars, and Cascade. I think I read Cascade. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. Uh, yeah. We've got North Down, Brewers, Brewers Gold. We've got quite a few. Three types of Goldings, Fuggles. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we've we've got enough, you know, and it keeps us keeps us ticking over and also so what are you getting yield wise from from, from that altogether? well this year we're, we got devastated by dams and hop aphids so oh, this year we're they live in the slow trees you know ah, little okay. slows so, so, so around you're, the you're, edges you know, they came out and ate all all, all my hops oh, and then the hops have regenerated but i've decided not to really harvest any this year and just let the whole thing let them die back into themselves and come up again next year oh. so mm-hmm. but yeah we, i mean we get a few hundred kilos mm-hmm. Uh, we did last year and I've got a wolf hop machine in 1966 which <laughs> from from Germany which strips all, strips all hops oh, I'd love I to see that there's probably yeah. a picture there's a little video of it running on our Facebook page beast of a machine it's a mm. battleship grey it's the size of a double decker bus oh wow yeah, almost so, yeah I, th- I thought you were describing something a bit smaller than that for you know, no, considering your scale I was, um, I was very lucky enough to uh, to be invited down to Brookhouse hops about Three weeks ago, three four weeks yeah, ago, I saw um, that. Yeah. to, to, to yeah. Go visit those guys, and uh, yeah, I had a wonderful day. It's a great experience. Uh, my first ever visit to a hop farm, so, so it was mm. it was just terrific. And their processing plant that that was pretty spectacular to watch that in sort of full um, full motion, mm. just walking through and picking the hops and, and rubbing them and comparing them. It's just a wonderful experience. I was going to say to you, interest looking at what you're growing and what they're growing. I think the main difference is they've got Chinook as well, right. um, which seemed to have at least this year in, in Herefordshire was a really good crop so I don't you know if you're looking for something else to plant that might be something that would thrive in the, in the Norfolk climate as well it's wonderful I think it's great that you've, you've got your hops there and so it's such a shame that you didn't get the harvest this year and um, I was going to ask you whether you made a green hop beer this year obviously you didn't if you didn't get any hops uh, but... <laughs> well they're still there and we are going to do it I mean okay. it's a bit late but we're going to go out there pro- you know early next week and take off enough to make a green hop nice from what's left and but not we don't want to stress the plants too much by mm. just want to let them die back into their mm. rhizome they'll be fine i've got really into reading about green hops this year i i, I was sort of vaguely aware of it prior to this year but this year i, I read quite a few different american blogs and you know there's a guy based in oregon that's really into green hop and talking to the brewers and tasting the different beers mm. and, and and i just I'm absolutely desperate to go to to Oregon now in a green, you know, the next hop season, hopefully the next Mm. year or the year after, I don't know. But uh, I've got to go and do the the green hop experience Mm. in Seattle and and, and Oregon uh, at some point in the next few Mm. years. That's a must. And uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to taste your green hop beer as well. What what, what will you make? Um, Well, the best beer I think I ever made from my hop yard was a green hop North Down. It was fantastic, but we'll have to see what's, you know, I think it's going to have to be a, a mixed 
texture of everything because uh, the crops this this crop's not very good at, no. at the moment so we'll probably just take about uh 15 kilos and make 500 liters because you have mm -hmm. to it's a sort of seven or eight to one ratio of wet hops to to think right play it by ear which is what we do <laughs> you know <laughs> that's great oh that sounds it. a good yeah. idea yeah, yeah let's yeah, do yeah, that yeah. good terrific that, that that sounds awesome um, let's take a short break this Week in Craft Beer was established in January 2020 to promote the independent UK craft beer scene via a free weekly newsletter published every Monday. The newsletter includes the key new beer releases from the previous week, as well as an extensive directory of web shops and other craft beer news. As things open up again, we will also feature a detailed events calendar, taproom directory and taproom reviews. You can register to receive this by email every Monday morning at thisweekincraft.beer. I'm back with Simon from All Day Brewing for the second half of the show. With All Day and Duration and Little Earth Project all being based in East Anglia, it seems like your part of the world is becoming a bit renowned for quirky and, and slightly mm. unusual brewing projects. Um, and I mean that with a great deal of compliment and not in any way as a criticism. Why is it that all you, uh, all you guys are sort of gathering in, in East Anglia? Is it in the water <laughs> or is, is there some other reason why um, that seems to be the hotbed of, of this type of experimental brewing in the UK? That's an interesting question because a few years ago, Norfolk's always had really good breweries, but they've always been pretty traditional. I mean, one of the reasons, you know, you've got the best barley, etc. Right. Uh, I think it's East Anglia and Norfolk in particular has always been a sort of fairly non-conformist. We've got the highest non-conformist area. We've got the highest number of Jedi here on the... In the, in the uh, census. You know, yeah, in, yeah. In, in the census, yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And the lowest number of people who claim any sort of religious affirmation so it's always been a you know thomas Paine came from around here so i think it's always been a fairly free thinking fairly free-flowing sort of things which and i think that because the, the produce is so good it, it will attract people i mean duration you know they love what they're doing you know they're oh, so yeah. passionate about it i mean little earth it's the same thing and there's you know ampersand there's three blind mice as well you mm. know they're all they're just all really into their beer they're not interested in just doing cask stuff so so that yeah i can no. say no more about it than that no, it's no, just that's... an interesting free thinking area that lets people do their own thing and so before so so as you said you you'd bought the repurposed jam factory mm. before you had anywhere to put it mm. and then luckily as you say the the barn in saul came up as an mm. option for you and suddenly you're surrounded by all this local produce and, and mm. you know an amazing opportunity to be self-sufficient almost as a brewery mm. but was that did, did you have in mind that those are the type of beers you were going to make before you landed in the barn or did it all sort of come together after you realized what you were surrounded by i think it's a bit of both because i had been making cider at home you know in the garage and experimenting with male lactic fermentations and all sorts of stuff like that and thinking about wine and thinking about the whole fermentation process so i think it was a bit of both but mm -hmm. i was fortunate enough to fall my feet into a place where i could just do that it was just allowed me to indulge that particular track i think if i stayed you know if i've been on on a on a unit in norwich it would never have happened no no i can imagine that it wouldn't have been and you could easily have ended up in a in an industrial yeah. unit in norwich could yeah. you i don't i dare yeah. say you were looking at exactly those type of yeah, premises I was. Um, uh, yeah. at the same time yeah so well i'm glad you didn't <laughs> <laughs> so am i so we've just spoken about some of your neighbours, but they're all of about the same vintage as, as your brewery in terms of, of age. Yeah, but I think can, so, yeah. Can you mention any people that were maybe came before you a little bit that, that were influences for, for your style yeah, of beer? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely Poppyland Brewery up in Cromer. Mm -hmm. Martin, he's, he's retired now. He sold it on to someone else. 
I just read about it and thought, yes, that's me. That's what I want to do. And so, yeah, they were, they were hugely influential. Nice. Very small batch, smaller mm-hmm. batch than mine, actually. I mean, he's the guy who, who probably <laughs> introduced Kvike yeast to Britain. Oh, wow, really? If you go, if you go back enough, he was going over okay. there. And it's now, obviously, it's the big thing. And, you know, a few years ago, he Absolutely, was getting these yeah. yeast rings and things and saying, you know, this is brilliant stuff. Nice. Very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Very good. What about on the continent? Any of the Belgian breweries influential? I mean, I know all about it, and I've been mm. to been around a couple of their breweries, and I like what they do, but mm. no, no, nothing and sticks in my mind as a particular brewery. You know, I like mm. their cool ships and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Uh, but do you have a cool ship? No, no, I haven't got the space. No. And also, uh, I was trying to explain the concept of cool ship to the environmental health officer <laughs> one day. It was quite complicated. <laughs> but she, to give her her credit, she did go out and buy a book on sour beers so she's she was very willing well, i should have sent her up to see Bates, and you know that well he didn't have his then i oh, think okay. i probably <laughs> softened her up for that actually spoke about cider and the fact that you got into cider and then you've got mm. out of cider a little bit um just to be able to focus more on i guess really what your passion is which is the mixed mm. firm mm. beers but you know it seems that you dabbled and danced around a little bit with the the world of crossovers there's a, an almost limitless scope of potential crossing over between beer and cider and wine Mm. Um, which seems to me that nobody's really scratched the surface of that yet. Mm. You know, I've, I've probably had in the last couple of years, I might have had five beers that I would, you know, sort of describe as really, yes, a real sort of crossover type beer. And mm. I think there's huge potential there for mm. experimentation. I don't know what the yeah. right word is, but what, what are your thoughts there? And is that something that you're going to get more into, Simon? Yeah, definitely. As it happens, my son lives in Porto uh, and he's into brewing as well. He sometimes comes and helps and he's he's got a little bar over there but he's he's very into crossover wine beer hybrids Mm -hmm. and what you've got in portugal and spain is they're very very good at yeah uh and they're very interested in beer Mm -hmm. and we're very very good at we're interested in wine but that there has to be more of a crossover till it's understood and my son tom has just got into this sort of whole wild fermentation of wine thing he's been to a couple of vineyards in spain and he's doing stuff in porto as well which is also a good source of wooden barrels for me it's great yeah (laughs) yeah i've been to porto a couple of times actually in the last couple of years fantastic lovely city isn't Mm. it really really interesting Mm. yeah such a nice place yes he's got a little craft bar there that he's setting up a distillery in as well brilliant but that whole crossover thing i've got a box of portuguese wine beer hybrids back at the brewery um, I, I need to start tasting soon, mm. but it's very similar. I mean, that's the stuff we've done with. It's it's good. These hybrids, are, I think they're brilliant. Yeah. And I think that that's what probably people used to do. Mm. I want to, I wanted to. What I wanted to do this year, and I've got around to it, was to actually mash a load of apples in the mash tun with a load of barley and make uh, you know a beer or whatever you call it out mm. of that. Like didn't an apple get porridge. To it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> didn't just didn't get around to it. There'd be enough malt in there to convert the apple sugars plus the apple juice and you, you know you get something interesting mm. out of it yeah sounds great but there's so much you know it's it's just uh, there's so much more to it than just getting some marisota some hops the yeasts from wherever single strain and some water there's so much more to it than that that's what i think i am respectful of the of the english or british brewing yeah. heritage you know and the fact that we've we've been making great beers mm. for centuries so so that yeah. is you know it's worthy of respect but mm. i'm equally slightly flummoxed by why there was so little 
progress. Mm. And that, you know, that might sound harsh, I don't know, really. But, you know, it seemed like people would perfect a, a style or a recipe. And then that was it, you know, sort of put their feet up and brew the same beer for 30 years. Yeah. Now, you yeah. know, why, yeah. why was that okay? I don't understand that. Well, you know, where was the... Where was the, the curiosity and, exactly, yeah, and the yeah. experimentation? I don't mm. understand it. I mean, and obviously, mm. there, I'm sure there were people like you that were on the sort of the, the periphery of, of the industry experimenting, but it wasn't getting into production for some mm. reason, was it? Mm. I don't understand that. Mm. No, I don't. But it's not, it's never, that that world is never coming back. I mean, don't worry about that. I think this, you know, the genie is well and truly out of the bottle now. And mm. if, you know, if you're a, if you're making the same recipe that you were making five years ago as a brewery i'm sorry but your your days are numbered mm. um and i <laughs> not gonna say i celebrate that but i do I, I love the fact that you've got to experiment and drive this thing forward and mm. so that means that if you're a, if you're a beer fan then you're gonna it's the world is is gonna yeah. keep evolving and it's it's, yeah. it's exciting times um so what makes you different what is your unique proposition to the market i'm 100 sure you're unique but i'd like you to Put it into words for me if you can. Well, I'm sure there are other, you know, the breweries I've mentioned are similar to us, but mm. we're very small scale. We're very based on localism. We're very based on curiosity and having fun. I think that we've got a great understanding of the process. We sort of understand what we're doing and we're manipulating the boundaries and the constraints and the inputs to, we don't know what's going to come out the other end, but mm. we know what we're doing when we start at the beginning. And most of the time, it seems to work sometimes it doesn't and then we learn from that and you do you you know, you know what do, do you get a significant failure rate you know no what, what, no okay. no no great not really you know sometimes because you've been entitled to quite honestly yeah. i think <laughs> no there's we've we've poured a couple hmm. but no i've been very happy it's not sort of 50 percent. it's sort of you know five percent or something wow well that's amazing yeah, yeah. very good um I saw reference to an extensive barrel aging program in one of the articles I was reading about this afternoon. So how extensive is extensive? How many barrels have you got? And uh... We've got about 40. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, which I don't know whether that counts as extensive. But yeah, I think we've got 40. Well, a whole more wall. than I've we've got. got. A wall of, and I reckon we can turn that over, you know, every three years uh-huh. and we'll change barrels. It's going to be running some as sort of Solera's. So we take off half top up, take off half top up. Right. And that sort of thing. So getting uh, just starting on doing that just sort of getting my head around that so that barrel will stay and it'll be the culture but mm. yeah no, we want to get over when the barrels wear out get some more over from porto and places yeah get some nice port barrels and that's about ten thousand liters mm-hmm. roughly which is good enough for us as a business yeah. you know i don't obviously i'd like the business to be I'd love to be a billionaire. Who wouldn't love to be one? But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because no, I like, like I doing it. Yeah, yeah. And it needs to pay for itself. And it needs to make a little bit. And I don't really want it to be much more than that. No, that's brilliant. And that's a great place to start from yeah. in terms of being able to experiment and please yourself rather than anybody else. Yeah. I reckon that 40 barrels, tap room, and a tiny, tiny bit of local sales just so we people know we can still make clean beer. <laughs> yeah. But... I don't know whether you need to do that or not, do you? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you, you know Possibly. what, you, you know what you're doing. But So your 40 barrels, because you've been at this for a few years now, I guess you're, you, yeah. that stuff takes time to mature. But yeah. I'd imagine you've got a fair bit now that that you could bottle. You don't need to do this I year. Mean, I could, in, yeah, yeah, but I, I dare say but, you know, a lot of those are ready to go in some shape or form now, aren't they? So, so you've, you've had the waiting game now, and now it's ready. I've had the waiting yeah, game. I've hopefully. got them. I could take out, I think, three or four every three months or something like nice. that. Yeah, yeah. Up. And I've got several thousand sitting in the in the chiller, 
all ready to go. You know, like the ones I sent you, just with the sticker on, okay. proper label. You yeah. know, they're all ready to go. It's just getting the labels sorted. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so twenty twenty one is going to you know can be a really big year for your barrel program. I think, mm, aren't it? You know, hopefully we can. And hopefully it'll roll from then. Yeah. If I can get my logistics mm -hmm. right and not get distracted by other, other <laughs> sort of interesting ideas. You spent barrels. People will buy those, won't they, for garden tables yeah. and yeah. you know and ornaments. I don't. One of my local brewers is uh, is Siren Craft um, here in Reading, and you know mm. they occasionally they've got a couple of barrels available, kind of thing, and you know mm. they, they 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 get rid of those pretty pretty quickly. I think people like the novelty value of of having a, a barrel as a table. I've realised we haven't yet discussed this second beer, and we should have done that 15 minutes ago. But it has had the chance okay. to warm up in the glass, so maybe we might get more from it now than we did if we'd have spoken about it 10 minutes ago. So this you described as a wheat barley wine, I think, didn't you? Which has got me completely yeah, bamboozled. Sort of, yeah, it's um, it's sort of like a barley wine. Mm -hmm. um, it's 75 percent wheat in the grist, and the thing is that I mean, as far as stuff I've read about barley and wheat were sort of pretty interchangeable it's just economic circumstances that predicted which would be which right. and my economic circumstances predicted when I came to brew that I had a load of wheat malt in the <laughs> thing and not much barley malt so uh, <laughs> that's how it happened really it was aged in a red wine Bordeaux barrel right and it was put in 31st of the 7th 19 that went in and at 7.4 percent so it's probably not dissimilar because I think the yeast give, gives out the overview. So you've got sort of family resemblance. Right. I think this one has got a, a sort of a stronger base of flavours than, than the last one. I can definitely taste the red wine in yeah. this, whereas the previous beer I couldn't, you know, if you, I honestly couldn't have told you it had come out of a whiskey barrel, I think. And usually, no, that's, that's the interesting yeah. thing, actually. I, I was quite surprised about that. But that's you know it's just the way it goes because mm -hmm. some some of the ones we've put in whiskey before you know it's almost overpowering. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've had whiskey barrel aged beers that you know, and it's almost like a glass of whiskey, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's, <laughs> this um, and that other one um, had a nice sort of barrel aged funk to it, let's say, but it didn't um, it didn't didn't taste the whiskey. Whereas I do, I can definitely taste red wine in this. Yeah, um, but it's also it's got like a I don't know it it just got a sort of a deeper sort of tart flavor to it. i don't i'm struggling yeah. to, to to put it into words again it, it, it's really again surprising that there's no fruit in this it's, that you no, could I, easily... don't, I don't really know how to describe them because i you know until i started making sour beers i never drank them so i don't know how you describe them no. i don't have the vocabulary and i don't know whether many i suppose belgian people would perhaps they do yeah they've been doing yeah. this a little at a time you know or a proper sommelier beer sommelier but you can't say it's, it's hoppy or you can't say it's malty no you know you can't do any of that sort of standard descriptor use those standard descriptors mm. at all and it doesn't it, it it doesn't really taste of wheat either no um which is odd as well isn't it <laughs> usually wheat beers have got a quite a distinctive well, uh, flavor to them i mean this this is the thing i think that that's brought out by wheat beer yeasts they put in i was gonna say yeah it's probably more the phenolic yeast, sort of stuff in the grain yeah and you know this is a yeast we know nothing you know who knows what the yeasts are so why should it conform to our expectations of a, of a wheat beer yeast? You know, it's not. No. It just happens to be a grist of wheat that these particular wild yeasts have decided to chew through. Mm -hmm. So what other styles of beer have you got in barrel? Have you have you made any um, any stouts? I've got a list. Okay. <laughs> I wrote them down because we're going through them today. I've got the strong wheat. I've got mm. two Chevaliers, mm -hmm. Blackberry and Elderflower, made with Norfolk Blackberries and home 
picked elderflower. Oh, that sounds lovely. I've got one called Purple Haze, which I probably should have sent you actually, but it's 5.4% and it's blackberries again, because we mm. got blackberries. It's all Norfolk stuff. Right. Tropical Stout, which is 8.9%. Ooh. I forget what, oh, that's got, we actually put <clears> some <throat> coconut and things in there that we mm. got from, didn't grow those in Norfolk. No, no, that's all. I'll let you off there. That's yeah. Right. We've got barrel-aged raspberry stout at 10.3%. It was in a whiskey barrel. We've got the two orchard series we did with Ampersand, which one went into a Bacchus white wine barrel and one mm -hmm. went into Pinot Noir. And they're different. You can really taste the barrels on okay. those. Nice. You can really yeah. taste the barrels on yeah. those. We've got one called Interrobang, which is a wormwood and blackberry beer. And Interrobang is a, an exclamation mark combined with a question mark. Right. Because uh, these were printers, we did it with guys called Print the People who we they sometimes print labels for us. We like working with them because they okay. they're good fun. Right. So they they decided to in, in Terrabang was a good name for beer. So we brewed one for oh, their yeah, tenth, like that. Yeah, tenth yeah. anniversary, and then we've got a stock ale. They're they're the six I've got right. bottled up, ready to go, which is wow. stock ale number one at eight point one percent. Hmm. which was, uh, I think it's got Chevalier in, you know, the, the history of beers, this, this, all this discussion around stock ale, I decided yep. to try and make one. Okay. And that tastes quite nice. That was finished off in a whiskey barrel as well. Lovely. So they're all going to be coming out in the next couple of, well, as soon as I get the labels, so they're mm. all ready, good and ready to go. Brilliant. So you're going to have some interest in um, bottles in your web shop for, for Christmas, hopefully, by yep. the sounds of it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Very good. Mm. No, I think they're, they're, I don't think you're going to have too much trouble moving some of those. That sound great. <laughs> yeah, they're all, and they're, they're, they're all, all going and all into seven fifties. Um, Simon, uh, there's a couple. No, the stock ales into five hundred. Hmm. Tropical stouts five hundred. The rest are seven fifties. Very good. Oh, the Interabang's five hundred as well. Right. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Lovely. No, that's quite an array of beers to contemplate. There, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been you know a couple of years in the making. All of those. So hmm. you know, it's all come together at once. Yeah. How often do you taste them? It could get very tempting. We sometimes have a session and you think, oh, we've had to, you know, have you heard of these thing called a Vinny nail? Yes. Which yeah, is, I know what a um, nail is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've, we, we use a screw for ours in the bottom of our barrels. So okay. Put, put screws in because right. we were a bit worried about the nails popping out. So mm. we sometimes take one out and have a little wine glass and taste it. Mm. And, you know, it's good. And we just think, yeah, that one's ready to go. You know, there's no... It's all based on if it tastes good. We think right, that one's going in the bottle now. Yeah. Or this one needs a bit more adding, or whatever. So that's how we do. That's Lovely. how we do it. Uh, and do you write everything down? So you know, you've got a sort of a log we, we on each try barrel. To. Where we you try say, no, to. This, yeah, this is what we added on this day, and now we. <laughs> we we do try to, but sometimes it gets a little bit. Uh, <laughs> some things have not been documented, hmm. but there you go. I think probably going forward, we'll tighten up a bit on that, you know, have a taster and think, oh, yeah, that's good. There's bungs of stuff in. And then two days later, you think, well, which one did we put that in? Because we've, we've put in things like coconut sugar and uh, this blackberries and whatnot, and it gets a bit vague sometimes. <laughs> oh, the fun, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. Um, how do you figure out what you're going to do next i mean is it just a case of seeing what produce you've got and then working from there or are you, are you a bit more sort of calculating on on you know what, what you're what you're planning to do in the next six to 12 months i think it's the, the first really i think mm. you know we go with the flow really I, there is no master plan uh, apart from the fact that we have to be, remain solvent yeah try, try that, to make a few quid plan. along the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> no there's uh, well I, I think plan is to focus probably 90 
50% on this barrel aging thing. Mm -hmm. Get that working. Uh, get the tap room, if we're not locked down again, that working properly. And that's it, really. As far as the beers we make, yeah, we'll make whatever whatever we feel like in, you know, 500 litre batches with whatever's going. Yeah. Whatever's going locally, mostly, <clears throat> hopefully, even more micro than that, whatever we can produce on site. Yeah. And so how often are you brewing? Not very often at the moment. Hmm. We brewed a couple of weeks ago, we're brewing again on Monday. Okay. So it's probably once every couple of weeks at the moment. Yeah. But it's fine. It's as often as you need to, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we have brewed three times a day but you know it's a bit hectic yeah so probably once a week is where we should be brewing right you know, and churning that sort of it's only five or six hundred liters i mean it's hardly you know a massive enterprise to do that no uh, i mean i suppose if you could rely on the tap room being open and you mm. you know as you say you probably want to have a couple of clean beers on yeah. know, on there don't you just to, to give people a bit of a choice then yeah that would that would drive a, a more regular yeah yeah schedule but but sadly that's not the world we're in mm. at the moment is it Take a slightly different turn. What advice would you give to somebody thinking of getting into home brewing in 2020? I'd say join a club, mm -hmm. use the internet, don't believe everything you read on forums because <laughs> it's not very really good not advice. Really? <laughs> um, locally, now this is a shout out for local, the, the Norwich Amateur Brewers, that, I mean, they're absolutely brilliant. Okay. You know, these are the people I would, you know, any, anyone in Norfolk should, join that if they're interested so what's it called break. norwich amateur brewers norwich amateur brewers they should be called norfolk amateur brewers but i was looking up just who they are the norwich amateur brewers, norwich amateur brewers. i was a okay. i was a member i've sponsored them they're such good brewers they're such good technical brewers hmm. they're far better than i am you know technical brewing <laughs> they they really are they're, okay, they're, nice. they're excellent in how precisely they manage their craft and they're true amateurs in the way in the meaning of a of an intelligent Doing it for the love of it uh, rather than uh, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. commercial gain sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. and, they're, and it, they're fantastic. And I imagine there's probably similar groups up and down the country now. I mean, it's, it's yeah. it seems like it's a sort of a golden age for homebrewing again, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, do you yeah. think it seems like I think like, so. Yeah. yeah, I think it's great. I mean, the Norwich guys, I mean, they're doing sours. They're doing, they're doing everything. Hmm. They're doing everything. It's just wonderful. And what about any sort of technique tips or, or things that people should be focusing on to, to, you know, sort of avoid the obvious early pitfalls that, that – cause people to give up yeah i i guess understand water treatment which once you understand it you realize it's quite simple but until you do understand it you think it's ever so difficult and then you suddenly understand it it's like lots of things isn't it in life i guess, think, oh, yeah. That, oh yeah that's easy but <laughs> you know until you get your head around it so i, th I think that's the thing um probably yeah don't use tap water what's your borehole water like as a you know as an uh, it's interest? extremely it's extremely high in calcium it does constrain us a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do treat it. I don't treat it that much for the barrel age stuff, which, again, I like because you mm. can just – and you can actually you can taste that uh, it, that mineral flavour on some of our clean beers, which I quite like. Right. Know, it's actually quite a nice sort of almost flinty taste on, okay. on your tongue. But, yeah, I, th I think when it, something's been in a barrel for a couple of years, it softens, you know, everything gets – I'd imagine, yeah, it's all good. Scrapes off the, up, yeah. the, the rough rough mm. corners and whatever, yeah. Mm. yeah just everything matures yeah. and mellows. Yeah. yeah. Very good. So that brings me to the wrap-up question then, Simon, which is, what would be your ultimate happy hour? <laughs> and I'm interested in where you would be, who you'd be with, and specifically what you would be drinking. Okay. I think it would have to be late at night. I'm a bit of a night owl. So it it have can to be, be any, any hour you like. I don't mind. Yeah, late, late <laughs> night. It would be 
on the coast somewhere, mm-hmm. looking at the sea. So on a cliff top, you think, or on a beach or yeah, something? Yeah, I think yeah. probably maybe back in Pembrokeshire. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, looking over the sea, drinking just good beer. It'd have to be beer. Can I press you on, on a style or a, or a particular, even a particular beer? But I'll settle for a style. Probably a strong, a really good, strong cask bitter. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Off a hand pull. Right. Could be arranged. We could get somebody to run it up to you on the cliff top from from the mm. pub there. I'm sure that, that mm. we can. You know, in this. Yeah, and just with a, I don't know, either a blues band or a English folk band playing. Nice. Yeah, very yeah. Cl- very very near to you. So mm. and, and that's probably what it would be. Well, I'm a huge fan of the blues. Actually, that's that's a good uh, good happy hour. I could I could quite happily join you there. I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe your dad would be there as well. You know, to, from from his his homebrew. Uh, his homebrew days in the 60s to see see how far you come with your uh, your brewing journey as well so that would be nice yeah. <laughs> that would be nice yeah excellent good well that's been really interesting simon thanks so much for your time um, well thank you very much no absolute pleasure simon i've really enjoyed speaking to you okay cheers bye coming up in the next few weeks we have interviews with some of the uk's most exciting craft breweries If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you decide to subscribe to the podcast so you receive each episode automatically every Tuesday morning. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and leave us a review in your podcast app. It really helps others to discover the show. Full details on all our podcasts can be found at thisweekincraft.beer. You can also follow This Week in Craft Beer on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Coming soon from This Week in Craft Beer is a brand new podcast mini-series entitled So You Want to Build a Brewery? But don't worry, there'll be no brewing advice administered here. Instead, we'll be focusing on everything but the brewing, looking at some of the fine details that need to be attended to if you want to build a great business in today's competitive market. We've partnered with some of the most innovative suppliers to the UK craft brewing industry to bring you a short series of episodes, each focused on a specific aspect which can really make a difference to your business. Please subscribe now so you don't miss an episode. Launching on Friday the 28th of August, it's So You Want to Build a Brewery.